Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, that was a fun weekend, wasn't it? It certainly was. My only regret from the weekend is we didn't get to check out the haunted location that was right next door to the place we played at that had a whole bunch of ghost stories. Yes. Well, the good news is we're going to be back there again. And the place is, it's called the Hop Garden, a beer garden with uh, some delicious beers. and Maple syrup beer was the highlight of yesterday's beer consumption. Yeah. And they're located in Paoli, Wisconsin. Which is a real word. Where apparently there's some old buildings that have stories yeah the paoli art gallery is right across the street so paoli is this unincorporated town that's on the sugar river in southwestern wisconsin which is funny because it's near the circle sanctuary that we're talking about today in the interview with selena fox wisconsin's most famous witch and so it's this tiny town that's on the sugar river and they have some really old buildings late 19th century buildings and one of them paoli art gallery is completely and super haunted. Um, we just didn't get there in time because we had to play all day yesterday. Yeah, but we'll be back again two more times this summer. So let's plan it out better next time, and maybe we can even do a little uh, live recording there. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna break into the art gallery next time <laughs> because I heard <laughs> breaking into art galleries in small towns is a perfect way to anger the ghosts into coming out. And we're hoping <laughs> to get if we well if we do a live podcast there or a live recording. And hopefully yeah. we can get some EVPs on there. That'd be cool. You know, so ghosts of art lovers. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Speaking of lovers, you know who I love? I know who I love. Who's that? I love One Shadow 4-5. Oh, that's not fair. I love One Shadow 4-5. You, <sighs> you weren't supposed to take One Shadow 4-5. I guess you're going to have to pick between Wendy and I <laughs> in this love triangle between us and One Shadow 4-5. Why do we love One Shadow 4-5, Wendy? Well, One Shadow 4-5 left a really nice five-star review for us. So thank you for that. And uh, I'll what? go ahead and read it to you. Yeah, what's it say? It says... I like to hear Wonderful cons... What? <laughs> I like to hear these stories. Wonderful concept. Five stars. Ooh. Here is a wonderful podcast filled with interesting topics of the paranormal and great sounding music to close out. Mm-hmm. The hosts are easy to listen to and make the whole show entertaining along with their intriguing guests. Definitely a must listen for anyone who likes paranormal. Oh, and we like paranormal and we like you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. You hit the right buttons, One Shadow 4 or 5. But yeah, thank you for leaving the review and taking the time to do that. We really, really do appreciate it. So if anyone else would care to uh, leave us some feedback in iTunes or in any podcast platform. Please do. And we'll read it out loud if it's good. <laughs> That's right. We will read your reviews. We read all the five-star ones. And we want to thank you very much for checking that out. So iTunes, iTunes link. That's an awesome place where you can leave a review. And that helps us meet new people. And it helps us get to know you a little better. Indeed. Wendy, when you think about the word pagan, what do you think? It makes me think of the wicker man. Okay. And burning fires and people dancing around him naked all right yeah <laughs> casting spells i like thinking of those things that's, that's just a ter- that's a stereotype isn't it yes it, well of course it is well i mean <laughs> the wicker man the wicker man isn't like a real positive 
this, I mean, it's it's a the Wicker <laughs> no. Man is a great movie, and we, obviously we've talked about the Wicker Man a lot on the show. We've even sang songs from the Wicker Man. Yes, we had the Wicker Man on the show. He was yes. actually a guest once. I actually was burned inside the Wicker Man at the end of the show. <laughs> oh my god, I got better. That's terrible. Okay, but when I think of Pagan, I think of the movie Dragnet. Oh, remember that movie with uh, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd? Oh, I never saw that. Oh, you never saw Dragnet? Okay. So if you guys haven't seen the movie, if you know the concept, the concept of Dragnet, it's Los Angeles Police Department in the 1960s. You had a real square-jawed detective by the name of Joe Friday. And Joe Friday was a by-the-book, you know, a completely by-the-book detective. And Dragnet was all about the Los Angeles Police Department, by-the-book, 1960s, exciting police procedural. So they remade it in the 1980s as a comedy. And this is one of the first like buddy comedies. It's got Dan Aykroyd as Joe Friday's nephew, also named Joe Friday. And then Tom <laughs> Hanks named as that. Pep Strebeck was his name in the movie. Pep Strebeck. Okay. And why does Pagan make you think of that? Because the organization, the bad guy organization in that movie is called Pagan. Oh. People Against Goodness and Normalcy. <laughs> and they go to this Pagan party. And they dress up in goat leggings like Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks dress up in goat leggings. And um, awesome. they're like, there's a buffet of different uppers and downers and pills and stuff <laughs> like that. And so they grab some just to, just to, you know, fit in. And then when they go try to explain what they saw to their chief, who's played by Harry Morgan, who also was on Drag Up. And Harry Morgan is the um, MASH, the old guy, Colonel Potter. Colonel, most people recognize Harry Morgan as Colonel Potter from MASH. Um, okay. But they, they try to explain what they just saw and what they just did. They look crazy because they come in wearing goat leggings. And when they're like, you know, they say something, all these pills fall out of their pants. And it's the, <laughs> the 12-year-old Mike thought it was hilarious. Oh, that's and great. And I, I still quote the Dragnet movie almost on a weekly basis. So anyway, right. so Dragnet in uh, Pagan is what I think of. And that's another example of a stereotype of pagans because they're dancing around in goat leggings. And it, it's a comedic <laughs> one. So it's not, you know, it's... It's not mean-spirited, at least. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talk about pagans and Wicca, and immediately we have these stereotypes that go into our head. You know, they're like tree-hugging dirt worshippers or, you know, whatever. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right? And so that's why uh, with coming up is Beltane, May Day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, May Day is a big holiday uh, for, for the Earth-based religions. Maypoles. Like, yeah, dancing around the maypole. That's right. And uh, Selena even tells us about the maypole that they have at their May Day celebration. Cool. So Beltane's the name of that. Also, the name that's Valpurgisnacht. And we'll talk about that. Gesundheit. Ah, Entschuldigung. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little Deutsch for you. Uh, we'll talk more about that when we get to the end of the interview. But first, uh, let's talk with Selena Fox. <laughs> Joining the interview today is my sister, Allison Jornlin from Milwaukee Ghosts. Welcome, Allison. Hey, glad to be here, Mike. And we are welcoming Selena Fox. Selena Fox is a high priestess in the Circle Craft Wiccan tradition. She is also an interfaith minister and environmentalist who founded Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve in 1983. Circle Sanctuary is one of the oldest pagan centers and legally established Wiccan churches. Reverend Fox is also a trained counselor and psychotherapist in private practice with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in counseling. Thank you for joining us today, Selena. Great to be with you. Awesome. And so where is the Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve in Wisconsin? We're located in the bioregion known as the Driftless Area. 
We are in southwestern Wisconsin. We're about a half hour drive from the far west side of Madison. We're not too far from Blue Mound State Park. The area out here has beautiful rolling hills and um, forests. It's a lot of green space. Some people talk about this part of Wisconsin, uh, the Driftless area, as something that not only is environmentally beautiful, but there's also legends. It's um, magical land. Why do they call it the Driftless area? Well, well, we want to hear those legends, too. The Driftless area, Mike, yeah. I'm a fourth grade teacher, so I, that's where um, when we were covered in glaciers, that's the part of the state uh, that was not covered uh, by the glaciers, and you know, for the most part. And so uh, that glacial drift, uh, a glacier, as it's pushing along, mm-hmm. um, picks up dirt and rocks and, um, you know, transplants it. Um, wherever it goes, and it's called drift. So the driftless area is a part of the state where uh, it's largely unaffected by uh, glaciation, unlike all the other parts of Wisconsin. Did I answer that right, Selena? Absolutely. (laughs) And what's part of the mystery is that through each of the advances of the glaciers, the glaciers split and continued southward, rejoined and you had this zone in southwest Wisconsin, a little bit of Iowa, a little bit of northern Illinois and Minnesota, but mostly southwestern Wisconsin, totally surrounded by the glaciers each of the times, but not glaciated. So of course, when you have an anomaly like this, legends and folklore can pop up. And of course, one of um, the things I've heard in the local folklore is that this area of the state is enchanted. Well, it's a beautiful part of the state, and I'm really glad that I've been living here and that Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve is here. Indeed, Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, which is a village um, close to where we are as well, considers itself the troll capital of the world and has... And not internet trolls. (laughs) Yes, these are the good luck trolls. These are the tourist magnet trolls (laughs) come to Mount (laughs) Horeb and revel in Scandinavian folklore. So that's been a lot of fun as well. And certainly out in these parts, Frank Lloyd Wright, one of the pioneers of environmentally friendly architecture, has his taliesin, which he named from Welsh pagan mythology, the Shining Brow. And uh, clearly, the driftless area of the state of Wisconsin is known not only for scenic beauty, but some wonderful cultural and uh, magical folkways. Well, let's get a little bit into uh, you, Selena. Now, did you pick the Driftless area because it had legends and it was kind of a cool place, or just like, this looks like a pretty place? Let's get started. Uh, Where are you from originally? I'm from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I came to Wisconsin 
back in the 1970s after leaving graduate school and decided I would explore other parts of the country and really fell in love with the greater Madison, Wisconsin area. I uh, came to be on the land that's now known as Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve as a result of a land quest that we began in the late 1970s. We were renting a farm near Sun Prairie and wanted someday to have a center which would be rurally based where we could network and connect not only with other people of like mine, but to be able to commune with nature and sacred ways. I had a dream during the four years that we were looking for land and saw the land in the dream. I went into Mount Horeb that day. We had a small office in a building there where we uh, did some publications work and other networking work and talked with one of the people who was part of our staff at that time. And she said, oh, I know of a place that just came up for sale. I went out and uh, checked it out, and indeed, that was the land I saw in the dream. I think the land chose us as much as we chose the land. And you're a Wiccan, so, I mean, a connection with the land, that that's really important to that religion, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, the form of Wiccan practice that I do is something that blends together old pagan folkways from Europe and some other parts of the world and combines it with shamanism and some um, Wiccan practice that has its roots in the UK and other parts of Northern Europe. Um, being able to be in touch with the sacred, not only as a great one, but honoring the divine within nature, uh, very essential to the practice. We celebrate the cycles of the season, the cycles of the moon. We connect with the divine not only as a great mystery, a great unity, but in multiple ways, honoring the divine as great mother, as great father, as sacred earth, air, fire, water, spirit, working with ancestors, and so it is diverse in its expressions in contemporary times. Um, the Wiccan religion and related forms of paganism has roots that go way back in time, but yet is very much something that continues to evolve as practitioners do their own work individually and collectively. So it sounds like it's a combination then, right, of the ancient and the modern. Let's get the definition of Wicca and pagan in there, just so the people who are listening and maybe aren't quite familiar with it can just kind of grasp that real quick, because we have all these associations in our head when we think of those things for the first time. And so let's try to get out the uh, the associations with the Wicker Man and goat leggings and stuff like that and get to the, <laughs> yeah, like get the to definitions the of that. and. 
And then let's expand on that on those Gerald Gardner's ideas. And stuff. Well, certainly the word pagan, the word Wiccan, the word witch, have not only um, found their way into various dictionaries over the years, but the definitions have evolved. I use each of those words in a particular context, pagan being synonymous with nature religion that's rooted in the old folk religions around Europe, northern Africa, the Mediterranean area, and now that have spread around the world. So pagan is an umbrella term that includes Wiccans, Druids, heathens, animists, God of Spirituality, practitioners, Unitarian Universalist pagans. Uh, just There's a wide range of forms of paganism. The Wiccan religion is one of the types of paganism. And then within the Wiccan religion, you have different paths or traditions. Many people are familiar with Gardnerian Wicca, Alexandrian Wicca, but back in the 1970s, as I started teaching and practicing and networking with others, the form of Wiccan practice that I developed in connection with other people I was working with really incorporates shamanic dimensions as well as what you might call some eco-psychological principles. So um, some would say that Circlecraft, which I'm most known for, is a uh, joining together of ancient folkways and contemporary nature spirituality. So um, it really, just like other world religions, take Christianity, you have Protestants, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and then a large catch-all category that has many other forms of, of Christianity, including some hybrid forms that are part of it. And if you look into Protestant Christianity, you've got Baptists and Presbyterians, Episcopals, and same way with paganism, you've got some major branches, the Wiccan religion, heathenism or Northern Way, Teutonic paganism, Scandinavian paganism, Asatru are all part of that. You have um, Druidism, and then you have some of the ethnic pagan folk religions, such as coming out of the Baltics. Um, the Kalash people are another example of um, practitioners of pagans and uh, paganism, but their paganism really dates back to the classical period, the ancient Greeks, um, as Alexander the Great moved into Asia and came across what's now Pakistan. They had connections with some of the people there, and lo and behold, what we have today, several thousand years later, are people who are practicing 
a blend of Hindu practice and ancient pagan Greek practice. So there are some really old survivals of paganism on the planet, and then there are contemporary forms of paganism, and then uh, there are some that blend from the old and the new. So could you address, uh, you know, because a lot of the people who are listening, you know, this might be their first introduction to paganism and animism and, you know, like uh, shamanic uh, dimensions. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of their concerns, because when you have people who are enmeshed or immersed in uh in the Judeo-Christian tradition, you know, they might have some ideas about the devil or uh, Satanism. And when they hear paganism, uh, a lot of times that's what people immediately jump to. Can you address that? 1,600 years of bad PR. Yes, that is so true. And all the Swedish and Norwegian death metal bands who are like are pagans and dress up and like they have like there really are like death metal fights in these Norwegian areas. <laughs> that that does not help with the public relations either. Well, so it, it, it would be good to d- disassociate. Well, yes. And so there are several words that are just really loaded. Pagan is one of the words. When I write pagan, I capitalize the P on pagan to indicate that it is a form of religion, of world religion, that really deserves to have equal treatment, equal rights on this planet, as with other world religions. One big difference between um, various forms of uh, pagan religions, there really isn't a focus on converting people. And with some of the branches of paganism, including the Wiccan religion. Now, some people use the word witch as synonymous with Wiccan practitioner. Some people use the word witch as somebody who practices magic, but perhaps doesn't have a particular religious framework. So that adds to some of the confusion. But clearly, the word witch and pagan have been used by people who have had an agenda of genocide and oppression. And what do you think are still like misconceptions that are lingering around today about witches in pop culture that that you'd like to clear up? I mean, what what really what really gets your goat? Is it Harry Potter? For me, it's Harry Potter. <laughs> That's great. Well, I've come to, over the years, to recognize that the word witch has a lot of power, the word pagan has a lot of power, and even Wicca has now gained some power as it's become more known, and all three words are now part of the greater global Um, pop culture that many of us connect with. So I recognize that there's great diversity in terms of how those terms are being used, and there's also diversity as to what people have in mind when they use those terms for other people and or for themselves. There are some people who are perpetuating fear and lies by saying that pagans 
Wiccans and witches have something to do with evil, devil worship, um, other problem activities. Certainly, um, if people look into the long history of nature religion, people who work in harmony with the larger web of life of which we're all part, they will recognize that really at the heart of paganism, at the heart of witchcraft as most people practice it and define themselves as, and the heart of the Wiccan religion is being in touch, being in tune, honoring our connection with the natural world, not only here on planet Earth, but the larger universe of which we're part. So I think some people say we are godless. That's not true. In fact, um, many forms of paganism are polytheistic, which means we have lots of forms of the divine rather than being devoid of them. Um, Some people say that uh, somehow we're spiritually backward, which really isn't the case either. One of the things that's being studied in the emerging academic field of um, academic um, studies of religion, religious studies, is that many people who have advanced degrees, college educated, that are um, very much involved with an understanding and um, adopting the scientific worldview are pagan. How can you be a scientist and a pagan? Well, I am. And so that's another thing that science and religion do not have to be warring each other. And the pagans I know actually see that science is just another way of being able to understand the natural world. Certainly from my earliest days, I've not only been interested in all things scientific and mystical, but I have taken part in research and um, been part of this emerging field that's called psychoneuroimmunology, really looking at the power of mind, the connection with body, with spirit, in terms of how wellness happens in healing. Yeah, so let's talk about the healing aspects. And, um, you know, I think that'll wash away some of the misconceptions that that people have. Um, You know, recently we had anthropologist Jack Hunter on the podcast, and um, he uh, he blogged uh, just this week about about the, the power of animism. The idea, uh, animism is the idea that, you know, there are spirits uh, in nature, in plants, in, in animals. Um, and if we come to respect those spirits, you know, that can lead to more benefits for us, um, perhaps in terms uh, of saving this world from the in- environmental catastrophe that, that um, we have going on right now from our, you know, current beliefs. Um, or, you know, our current paradigm. And, you know, the whole idea is like maybe if we incorporate um, some of these animist uh, principles from 
from the past. I mean, cur- currently there's there's lots of cultures that that still hold animism uh, as an important part of their worldview. But you know, the idea is that maybe Westerners need to get back to that um, to heal the earth and and heal ourselves. What do you have to say about that? Well, I agree, and I actually think that if you use the term pagan in a very broad sense, meaning synonymous with nature religion, everyone alive on the planet today is a pagan in terms of their ancestry. We're hereditary pagans. What was the religion of the Stone Age, of the Neolithic? There was a time where being in touch with nature, not only having the physical knowledge of nature, but the spiritual attunement to nature was hardwired into everyone. So I sometimes, when I give talks about paganism and witchcraft and the Wiccan religion, I talk about, well, think about your ancestors. If you go back far enough in your family tree, chances are you're going to find a pagan. You might not know their name, but um, we all have pagan roots in terms of looking at the spiritual dimensions of nature. And I think it's really important that we examine our worldviews. We examine the things that we've been taught and the things that we experience and recognize that the sacred is not something that's just part of the human life experience. It is intertwined with all of nature. And animism has that as a core practice. And some pagans really prefer the word animist for themselves because it doesn't have some of the baggage that the word pagan has accumulated yeah. over time. Assuredly. Um, we, yeah, we think it's really important in, in terms of um, environmental science that we not only have a good understanding of things that are observable, but we develop the intuitive dimension of ourselves and have an awareness of what nature can teach us. I think it's really important that as we look at the world around us, we are all interconnected. And whether you see that coming from a spiritual dimension or a scientific one, or in my case, I see the two as very intertwined, is to recognize that inner connection and to celebrate it. Well, let's talk about some of those celebrations you have coming up. You have some some festivals coming up um, at the Circle Sanctuary. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, leave you without, uh, you know, really talking about, you know, some of the regular events you have there, like the the uh, full moon and, and sacred fire circles, but you also have these seasonal celebrations coming up. And this can these can be um, a valuable opportunity for people to engage in this community and also engage with the natural environment, like these pagan spring uh, celebrations you have coming, uh, uh, the celebration of Beltane and um, also the uh, celebration of the summer solstice. Can you talk more about That's all right. these incredible things you got you have co- coming up in the next uh, few weeks and months? 
Yeah, so we celebrate the beginnings and midpoints of each of the four seasons and the midpoint of spring, the time of the flowering. It's called Beltane. And some people will celebrate April 30th, May 1st. We celebrate the first full weekend in May. It's a three-day festival. Yes, we do some old customs, dance the maypole, have some Morris dancers out to dance up the crops. We have, we'll have some baby blessings. We'll have a variety of different workshops and ceremonies. Our biggest gathering of the year, a pagan spirit gathering, um, is typically held at some type of campground, and we will be returning this year to southern Illinois um, at a campground called Tall Tree Lake, and it's a week-long celebration of summer solstice. What we endeavor to do is create and live in a magical pagan village. So we contribute to the things that we need to do to have our community operating during the week. So we have some people uh, doing first aid and security and information, child care, um, that type of thing, doing workshops. We have a whole educational component. Um, we do a lot of drumming. We um, have dancing around bonfires. So that's and, what all those drums uh, are for, for that I uh, spotted when I was there um, at the Circle Sanctuary a few weeks ago. You had quite a lot of drums. Yes, and making music together, rhythms and singing and dance, um, doing sacred movement, um, very much important to our own practice and many celebrations. Uh, more information about our events, you can find us on Facebook, Circle Sanctuary Community. Uh, I'm usually posting things as well at my Facebook page, Selena Fox Updates, and our website, www.circlesanctuary.org, has not only information about our seasonal festivals, our full moon circles, but we do classes and a variety of different events throughout the year. And yes, we work with nature spirit, yeah. the elements, the plants, the animals, the spirits of ancestors, the ancient ones connected with the land and connect with divinity as goddess and God and, and great diversity. Um, we're interreligious. We, we are a pagan church um, with a Wiccan foundation, but we also are interreligious and multicultural, and we have people that wouldn't consider themselves religious or spiritual at all. In fact, they might call themselves agnostics because <laughs> of, of, of their connection of being agnostics and, as well as connected with paganism. So there's a wide spectrum of belief, but what we have in common is inquiring minds, the ability to learn from each other and the larger world of which we're part of, a love of nature, and hope and action to work together to bring in better things for all of us. So yeah. I am very thankful to be part of this podcast, and I appreciate your interest and questions. Okay, then. Well, let's start with Beltane, okay? Because we kind of 
just skipped over like what happens at one of the events because I think this is a lot of what people are interested in. And okay, so let's say that first of all, why is it a certain day? It's a, it's a spring festival, all right. It's the beginning of summer festival. Like, and what happens? Like, take us through your average Beltane Friday night or Saturday event where. What's going to happen? You know, like you said, there's going to be drum circles probably, and there's going to be some dance around some fires, and the maypole. I mean, all those things uh, sound like fun. Uh, so what kind of, what do they represent, and what does a, a Beltane celebration uh, usually entail? And who is Beltane? Is that, is, this a, is that a date, or is that a, a guy, or is it a place? <laughs> That's great. Well, some say the name Beltane incorporates the name Bell an ancient god of the fiery sun. Um, It's a Celtic fire festival. It's midway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. Um, I do a whole teaching on celebrating the seasons. In fact, I'm doing a whole intensive about how to create and lead seasonal celebrations as part of our pagan spirit gathering. Um, Beltane has many different aspects to it. It has the old folk ways of celebrating the flowering of the land. So it's a fertility festival in that way. And one of the traditions we have for dancing the maypole, and yes, we have a year-round maypole, just like many places in England and some other parts of Europe had up until uh, the 1600s or so, when the Puritans came and took over um, in the 1600s in England, they cut down the maypoles because they were pagan symbols. Well, uh, after their reign of terror ended, uh, maypoles started going back up, but not quite so many. In fact, if you look at American history, in the twice-told tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne, you'll learn about the Maypole of Marymount in Massachusetts. Yes, indeed. There is a community that danced and frolicked around a Maypole. And why is that contra- why why would it be controversial to have a maypole in the first place? like it sounds like I mean it's pagan it just I mean obviously it's not a stripper pole but like it, it just sounds like a you know a thing so the the idea that it's pagan that it's a, it's a symbol of fertility uh, the connection to the earth yeah okay. well and so it depends on which culture and which people you talk with as to what form their maypoles take uh, but the maypole in shamanic practice, is the world tree. It connects the lower world, that which is in the earth, with the middle world, where we are and dwell, with the upper world. It's also considered a phallic symbol, and it connecting Uh with the earth, it's the union of the earth and sky. And... Um, During the Victorian era is when the ribbons got attached to the maypole. Many people think the ribbons are hundreds and hundreds of years old in terms of uh, doing the beautiful weaving patterns, but not so old. But the maypole itself is very, very old. And before it was called a maypole, um, it was sometimes called the sacred pole. I mean, it's Really, it links earth and sky. It's a representation sure. of fertility and life. And, and so why do we dance the maypole? We dance the maypole to welcome in the spring. And 
one of the traditions we have at Circle Sanctuary is once we've, and we use the ribbons, we have these 13-yard long ribbons that we weave and do this amazing um, interlaced um, pattern. Once it's all energized and we've got dancing and drumming and chanting and singing, and we're having really a lot of fun. Spirituality should be fun. It shouldn't be all dismal. And restrictive. Don't tell the Catholics. <laughs> well, and you know, part of I think part of the reason paganism does uh, not always gets appreciated by some more staid religions is it really does um, encourage people to open up, enjoy life, and have fun. It's about pleasure. <laughs> it's about. And it's a bit sexy, right? <laughs> I, I can see why a guy like Oliver Cromwell was like, okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to cancel the festival where we had all these young women dancing around a phallus. Well, and you got so, it. And, you know, the, the Puritans also got rid of the celebration of Christmas, uh, which really is winter solstice. So um, they said, oh, we get rid of this. This is too pagan, right? So paganism really got demonized a lot. It was considered religiously and and spiritually incorrect for hundreds and hundreds of years by various people. And unfortunately, there are some parts of the world, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, um, Pakistan, some other parts of the world where it's dangerous to be open as a pagan. Yeah. Although I'm happy to say in Pakistan that the Kalash people um, are now being considered a distinct ethnic and religious community. So this old pagan tribe is getting some degree of recognition and hopefully protection. So back to Beltane. Yes, there is this whole fertility piece, and after we dance the maypole, one of the things we do is have whatever um, couples want to have a child in the next year to come up and touch the pole. And then after they've done that, yeah. you know, for good luck, we'll have other people come and get the wonderful energy from the pole, but in a different context. Writers that want some help getting through their writer's block <laughs> and or doing some other creative activities come up. We have um, all sorts of different people come up. We have the Oak Apple Morris dancers, which are doing these dances, these folk dances that date back hundreds of years to old England, and they um, have bells sewed on their costume, on their leggings, on their arms, and they do these traditional dances, which is said to wake up the land and bring about abundance. While we are not... um, farmers in terms of doing lots of crops. We do have some agricultural um, activities on the land. In fact, we just began our Blessed Bees apiary with a couple beehives. Uh, we do a lot of prairie restoration. That's a great name, by the way. Yeah, Isn't that fun? <laughs> the Blessed Bees. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So at our Beltane, some people come for one of the days, some come for the three days. We start out, we connect. Some people during Beltane will take personal walks in the woods, do personal ceremonies at one or more of our sacred places, and we feast, and we make merry, 
and we have youth activities. We've got all sorts of workshops. And do you have a May Queen? Do you have a May Queen? Yes, we. What about the Green Man? Absolutely, we we elect our May Court by lotto. So we have a cauldron where whoever wants to be a May Queen can put their name in. Whoever wants Sweet. to be the May King puts their name in. But we also have a variation that I started like 30-some years ago or so for the May couple. So we draw from, usually it's the May Queen from the year before, draws from the cauldron and chooses the new May Queen that way. And the May King from the previous year will draw from the May King um, cauldron and call out the name of the person for the May King, but we have the May couple. Why do we have the May couple or the Beltane couple? Because within our community, we not only have heterosexual couples, but we have same-sex couples, and we have people that are gender nonconforming. So any couple has the opportunity to uh, put themselves in for May couple. So our court... And no one gets burned alive, right? What's that? That nobody gets burned alive, right? No, no, this is not Wicker <laughs> okay. Man. Thank God. Yeah. I was like, Wicker Man. I'm like, I don't know how you guys do things in Barneveld. <laughs> yeah, Wicker Man number one had some really great music and imagery. Um, Wicker Man number two, the remake, um, much had more problematic, I think. And no, we do not uh, sacrifice creatures or humans as part of our rights and uh, no we will go and harvest some plants though and pay our respects to the plants <laughs> that we harvest for for food consumption and we aren't all vegan or vegetarian um, but we are getting our meat from sustainable farms and and uh, from local markets and things. So we have big feasts, we have fun, and yes, we do a whole thing with the May Queen and the May King and the May Couple. In fact, our Morris dancers have a traditional dance that they do uh, to bless couples, and we have the May Court getting Morris dancers dancing around them in And some of the old customs that we know about from ancient Beltane ceremonies was the kindling of large bonfires. Um, Some say two large bonfires would be kindled and the livestock, this is back in agricultural days, would be driven through between the two big bonfires and there would be kind of a fumigation of sacred woods not only um, helping to drive away any kind of insects, but blessing the herd that way. Well, kind of we aren't keeping for cattle. Familiar with that, right? Kind of a, sm- a smudging of the cattle. Yeah, there's um, some friends of ours who are part of our. Getting some of the methane out. What's that? And getting some of the methane out too, because you can imagine a whole bunch of cattle <laughs> together are going to smell bad. That's great. Yeah, so we we will leap the fire. We will have a small. Um, bonfire, and it said that if you leap the Beltane fire, it brings good fortune to you in the coming time. And so we have some old customs we do. We have some new customs that we do. And part of what Beltane is about is linking in with the change of the season 
to deepen our connection with that larger natural world that we're part of. And it's the flowering time. So it's a wonderful time to enhance our creativity. And regardless of whether one wants to tie into the human reproduction dimensions of the holiday or not, there's clearly this tradition of enhancing um, mood, enhancing well-being, celebrating spring. Yeah, and okay. what, what about um, the fairies? I love to talk about the fae, and I noticed um, when I visited uh, Circle Sanctuary that you had some shrines to the fairies. So um, I don't think the fae would like it very much if we left them out. So what? what no, they you, hate being left out. <laughs> yeah, they don't like being left out. So what can you tell us about about the fae? You know, maybe their relations to some of the pagan holidays, or you know, just you know, who who are the fae? And, you know, why do you have shrines to them at, at the sanctuary? Well, we work with the Fae in a very universalist way. We recognize the Fae as an umbrella term talking about different forms of nature spirits. So they're spirits of the land. They're spirits of plants, of flowers. They're spirits of creatures. There's the elementals, the water spirits, the air spirits, the fire spirits, the earth spirits. So for some of us, that whole fairy realm, fairy folk realm, incorporates um, an understanding of the divine taking many different forms. We have a fairy shrine for several reasons. First of all, it is a place where we can go and connect with the nature spirits of the land. It's also a place where our youth can deepen their understanding of our connection with the spiritual world. So in addition to fairy tale, legendary dimensions of the fae, the Fae to us are real, and we pay respects for them. It isn't all Tinkerbell, though. <laughs> In fact, a Fae really is a much wider spectrum. Our land guardians are huge. They aren't tiny. Uh, sometimes the Fae actually appear as glowing lights. In fact, uh, I sometimes do ceremonies up on what we call Ritual Mound, which is a natural occurring um, fairy folk place. The she, S-I-D-H-E, a term about the fae that comes from Celtic lore. You've heard of the band she? Well, that's one mm -hmm. type of she. Well, it's a she mound. It's a she place. And before we purchased the land, Part of what I did, this was Sawa night, which most people would call Halloween, um, but we used the Celtic term for it and the Celtic traditions connected with it, went up to the land. We were going to sign um, the paperwork to get the land the following day or so, and went to the land and paid respects to the land and asked the land for a sign. Hey, you know, is, do you want us here? Do we want you to be the land for our um, community 
we had a fairy light appear in the north quarter of what is now, we now have a stone circle up on top of that mound, and we took it as a really powerful sign that, yes, this was the right place. And since that time, from time to time, lights and presences do make themselves known up there. Um, one of our author friends, Whitley Strieber, who's known for a variety of his books, probably Communion, which came out in the 80s, in which he talked about his encounters with other beings, <laughs> um, alien beings yeah. and whatever. Well, he came to our land with his family back in the 80s, and he did so in connection with a fiction book that he had written called Cat Magic, and it was about a Wiccan community that was land-based, and and many people say that part of the inspiration for that came from Circle Sanctuary, and I think if you uh, look at that book, you'll probably um, get an understanding that, yes, there was some inspiration there. Well, he came to the land and brought one of the people that he had based one of the characters about um, in his cat magic book from to the land so that she would have a chance to experience life on sacred land, sacred pagan land. Well, while we were there, we went up to our stone circle area to do a ceremony, and clearly a presence was felt there. And what Whitley ended up doing was staying the night on the mound after our ceremony was done and had some amazing experiences happen. And uh, his family, which was down the hill and talking with my husband and some other people from my center, actually saw lights. Now, were they alien lights or were they fairy lights? I don't know. I was up on the hill. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, we've had a number of people, known and not so known, have experiences on the land. And I think part of the reason this um, fey encounter and otherworldly encounters have happened is because the whole land is dedicated as sacred land, and we pay respects to the world in a variety of dimensions, not just the visible. And right, I so think, they come through for you, it sounds like. It well, sounds like yes. If you and, appreciate them, they might come out. Well, that's it, and I think, too, when you've had a place that has numerous ritual sites and you have people doing spiritual activity over time, that opens gateways. And it makes it easier to experience phenomena. However, we have uh, some what you might call guidelines and protocols for the types of work that we do. It isn't like anything goes, let's do a whole lot of experiments and call up whatever we feel like calling up. No, we, we uh, want to be in harmony not only with the animals and the plants that also dwell on the land, but the spiritual forces that are there. So we... Um, have intention with the ceremonies that we do, and even the ones that might be what you would call um, lively and fun-filled, there is a, a serious dimension in that we see ourselves 
as part of a much larger whole and seek to be in harmony with that larger whole and to bring about more love, peace, well-being, joy, and freedom into the world, not only on the land where we have our activities, but on the planet and the universe as a whole. So that is the basic framework. And you find that in other types of sacred places by people of other spiritual traditions and paths. When a place has become sacred and people go with sacred intention, that enhances the ability of that place to be special for others as well. So our it faith, like it's a place of power, right? Would you well, say it is. I mean, yeah, definitely there are places on the land, even people that may not consider themselves having the sight or being especially psychic or intuitive, they feel something. Oh, so so it can open you up to these other dimensions, it sounds like. But, you know, as you're, you're saying, there's certain protocols. You don't want to just go blindly in uh, into it like a bowl in a, in a china shop because power, you know, has positive aspects but also has negative aspects. So, you know, what, what are some of the cautionary uh, things that you would recommend? I really think that one's doing spiritual activity individual or with a group that one really needs to reflect on intention, what is the focus, and one needs to prepare oneself, uh, often at some form of purification ritual, such as smudging, or it may take the form of doing centering breath, surrounding oneself with a radiant light, or just simply being peaceful, stilling the mind. Right. Now, you said that, that there were uh, some people that were quite known who, who experienced things. Like You mentioned Whitley Struver. Are there any other notables that, that you can tell us about that, yeah. that may have experienced something there? Well, my friend Margot Adler, who died a few years ago, um, who is known for a number of her work. She was a, um, a radio journalist for National Public Radio, but she was also a Wiccan priest and and she had a love for the land and found by being out on the land that it really brought a deep sense of peace. Um, Starhawk, who has known uh, not only in the Wiccan community, but amongst people involved with permaculture and other types of eco-activism. What's, what's the name again? Um, Starhawk. Starhawk, that's a sweet name. Yeah, she's, uh, she travels around, fairly well known as an author and a speaker, and um, she has come out on several occasions as well. Um, we have some rock shelters on the land where um, we do some healing work, and we've had um, people from a variety of different backgrounds and traditions come over the years. And from time to time, media will ask to come and uh, do a documentary. There was a fairly well-known writer, he's since passed on, Neville Drury, who did a, a movie, he was from Australia, he did a movie back in the mid-80s called The Occult Experience. 
And I'd say one of the more dramatic encounters with somebody as a notable was when he and the film crew and the film director, Frank Hyman's, uh, one of Australia's best-known film directors, came out to do filming at our nature preserve as part of this documentary they were doing, really exploring consciousness and magic and folkways from all around the world. So they arrived to do the shooting, and we were meeting in the farmhouse kitchen, and there was no snow on the ground. And I had pulled together a ceremony and a couple friends, along with the other two people living with me at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve at the time, and we were going to go up and do a special dedication of our stone circle. And we had given them permission to film. So we're meeting and trying to get things prepared, and the director said, well, we're not going to film today. I said, what? No, there's no snow on the ground. I said, well, and I had no idea how famous he was <laughs> or how powerful <laughs> he was. I just said, well, okay, you don't have to film, but we're going to go do our ceremony whether you film it or not. Right. We're not playing for the camera. We're going to go do it. And he was just shocked that I did this. <laughs> and, and then he realized I was serious. And I said, yeah, we're going to go up. We're going to do our ceremony. If you want to film it, fine. If you don't want to film it, well, you come back tomorrow, but we aren't going to do the ceremony tomorrow. <laughs> We're doing it today. Well, he kind of um, just sat there and went, okay, we'll do it today, <laughs> and called his film team people together and said, okay, get your cameras. At the moment he made the decision, it started snowing. <laughs> Hey! <laughs> wow! Huge flakes of snow. I mean, it was classic, right out of a movie of sorts. And and they had not seen. So you might not have known how famous he was, but the goddess. Well, absolutely, <laughs> and and clearly, Mother Nature smiled on us, gave us snow, and it was amazing. I think there's some little video clips. I think actually the whole film is up on YouTube somewhere. Um, yeah, and I hadn't even realized it won an award and made itself around the, um, we're only a few minutes out of this much longer documentary, but you can actually see the beautiful snowflakes as we go up and um, bless our stone circle back in the mid-80s, which is when the filming happened. Well, they came back the next day to do some follow-up interviews, and that night they went off to the local village of Mount Horeb. They discovered when they left our valley area, it had not snowed any other place. Wow. (laughs) It was one of those, you know, magical moments. And our friends who had had come down from a dairy farm near Kendall um, also reported the same thing. They called us up and said, you know, we got snow just right around Circle Sanctuary land. It's really strange. (laughs) There's no snow out here. So that was certainly one of those uh, crossroad moments. And uh, we've had other amazing things happen. And I do think when you are in touch with nature, 
you can not only experience the magic of nature herself, itself, himself, depending on your, your philosophy, but I, when you're open to that resonance, things can happen. So what caused that to happen? As I told the film director, well, you made the right choice. Yeah, he respected <laughs> right. your authority, and, and it sounds like the goddess was listening. Well, to me, it was about honoring the earth, calling on the earth goddess, and um, doing a ceremony to bless that ritual space, and I was fully prepared to go do it, regardless of whether it was going to get filmed or not. Um, we've had other reporters out. We have a cemetery on our land. It came about in 1995, and in 2010, we expanded our cemetery so that um, it now can have full-body human burials as part of our cemetery options for caring for the dead and the afterlife. As opposed, you just did like the upper half before, or how we did had you guys cremains. do it with, with non-full yeah, body? Yeah, in nineteen ninety, from nineteen ninety-five up in two thousand and ten, it was cremains only or cremated um, remains, ashes, and in order to do full body human body burials, you do need to go and get some extra zoning and platting and get it registered with the state. You have to promise you won't bring anybody back. <laughs> so so we actually have a 20-acre green cemetery. It's Wisconsin's first green cemetery. And it's a national pagan cemetery. And we have a burying ground area in the woods. We have a restored prairie where we scatter ashes, and then we have a ridge top where we bury cremated remains and have a variety of markers. And the fourth part of our cemetery is actually our stone circle. And we think it's very important to pay respects to the dead and to have a place in beautiful nature where people who are grieving the loss of loved ones can go to not only honor memory of the departed loved ones, but to experience the continuity of life that goes beyond this incarnation. Fantastic. Yeah, so is our cemetery a place where there are ghostly sightings? Yes. Are they restless ghosts? No, I do think it. Uh, some of those who have remains there do make themselves known from time to time to people who were there um, as a comforting force. Uh, so they're just visiting. Uh, they're not um, earthbound spirits. Yeah, they don't want to terrify anybody. That's correct. So we don't have the scary spooky, ooky, ghost stuff um, that sometimes happens. Or when a cemetery has been disturbed or desecrated, that's where you can also get some problematic paranormal activity. And you should know because you all are ghost hunters. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. We're going to have to come out to the Circle Sanctuary and check that out. And for people who do want to come out to the Circle Sanctuary and maybe see and learn more about you guys, where's the website where they can find all of your information? www.circlesanctuary.org. And those who are interested in um, coming for a visit, 
We have a variety of events that happen throughout the course of the year. And each month, we also have some visiting days. We aren't open on a drop-in basis, um, but we do have certain times every month where people can come. We think it's really important to have places where humankind can not only be in good relation with each other, but with the rest of the natural world and the worlds beyond this one. We're going to have links to that in our show notes. We're going to talk a little bit about this, and that's othersidepodcast.com slash 141, and you'll be able to find links directly to the Circle Sanctuary, learn about the events, uh, get some social links so you can uh, maybe bug Selena herself and be like, give me some of that pagan magic. Speaking of, we didn't talk about magic today, and that's something we'll have to have you on again to get into a little bit some of that Wiccan magic, because I know that's what I want to learn about, because I need some of that in my life. Well, it's wonderful being on your show and thank you so much for your interest in Circle Sanctuary and the work that you're doing to do education and stimulate conversation. Always trying to. Thank you very much, Selena. We're going to have to go to one of these Circle Sanctuary events sometime, Wendy. I think we should. It sounds fun. I think we definitely should. And and, or the pagan gathering, like the pagan spirit gathering yeah. is their big thing. And okay. that, that's not located actually in Wisconsin. Like they have that in like a rotating different place of oh, states. But neat. the people at the Circus Sanctuary are behind the pagan spirit gathering. And in the summer, it's based, everything's based on the summer solstice. Everybody gets together. And that's what she was talking about, that they, they have a, like a pagan medieval town. Neat. You know, they set it up like that. But I think the closest we're going to get is probably the summer solstice in Madison. There's a big bonfire at Olbrick Park every year, and Ooh. everybody comes out and has like a drum circle. Now that sounds fun. Yeah, so we'll have to go out to the drum circle, and that's how we can celebrate the solstice in our own little pagan way. Bring your djembe, Mike. I will bring my, my djembe, Mom. But no, we want to thank Selena. Circle Sanctuary for you people, if you're interested in going there, you can make sure to go to othersidepodcast.com slash 141. We're going to have links to the Circle Sanctuary, and you can see when they have public events. So you can go celebrate, learn more about Wicca and uh, this really interesting earth-based religion, and also get close to nature, because that's an awesome thing you can do at the Circle Sanctuary. We also want to thank Allison Dorland from Milwaukee Ghosts. Yes, Allison always brings her delightful voice, enthusiasm, and energy. Yes, yes. Thanks, Allison. And um, she's been out to the Circle Sanctuary. She's met Selena a bunch of times, and she was like, "We got to have her on the show because yeah. we got to we got to talk about Wicca." I'm like, "Awesome with me." Perfect. You know, we were talking uh, you know last year, the year before. Oh, my memory! It leaves me in my old age. But we were um, we were talking about. Uh, legends of the spring and legends of witchcraft and, and stuff before. And one of the things that we discussed was Walpurgisnacht. Gesundheit. Yes, Gesundheit. Or they yeah. call it Hexennacht. So okay. Hexen is like Dutch for witch. Ah. Okay, and okay. Walpurgisnacht is German. It's um, for the Feast of Walpurga, one of the saints. Mm. And we talked about this before because they thought this was the night that the witches flew around. So when we were talking about legends that would inspire Halloween and things like that, it was that mixing of uh, the Valpurgis night, like the witches flying around and people causing mischief, and that eventually became like the Devil's Night kind of stuff in the United States, some of those traditions that people take. But so this was the night of the year that it was said that uh, the witches would go fly and they'd all meet up together 
buck naked, like you were talking about, people dancing around naked around the fire. As you do. As, as you do. But they said this was the night that witches would get together and they would plot their evil. Okay. And, and so, you know, we thought this would be completely appropriate for a heavy metal song. <laughs> Naturally. And, but also the idea of Anvalpurgisnacht in this particular song is that the, the narrator comes in thinking that it's going to be this, all these evil witches and stuff and realizes that they're just you know people who are happy that the spring you know that spring is here that winter's over and there's nothing evil about it mm. so that's kind of the idea of what uh the heavy metal version um where he finds oh maybe these witches are so bad and it happens on Valpurgisnacht what did I see out behind the mountain What did you see when you stared at the full moon? Was it demon wings and hellfire in the sky? Did you see the witches flying to our doom? The devil's whores are waiting for their master for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know, it was a lot of fun last week, Wendy. Yeah. 
the Patreon hangouts. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And <laughs> it was a blast. And we do that every month where we have a special hangout where we talk paranormal topics, drink prodigious amounts of wine. Yeah, or water or tea or whatever you want. And get to know uh, the people that are... Uh, that enjoy the podcast the most. And the, yes. and we know they enjoy it the most because they are supporting the podcast every single month through our Patreon campaign. That's right. So every month we're going to do a hangout with our awesome Patreon supporters. And if you would like to be one of that very cool crew of people, you can check that out at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And you can hang out with us there. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank one of our favorite Patreon supporters. Yes, Ned, thank you for pledging us at the level where you get a shout out every week and we always appreciate your support. We love seeing you at shows and uh, thanks for being part of the Patreon team here. Yep, Dr. Ned, we appreciate it very, very much. And everybody out there in podcast land, if you want to be part of that group, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Love you, bye. <laughs>